Hey, morning, everybody. My name's Brad. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Shelbyville Community Church, and it's great to have you. So I'm super excited today because we're actually starting a brand new series, as you may have guessed, in the book of 2 Timothy. We're calling this series Resilient because we believe that that's what God wants for, he wants resiliency, you know, for every single one of his children. Now, a couple of things before we jump in. Uh, first of all, um, we've made these available. We made these available for our Ephesians series. These are journals where you can write and take notes. And this one includes not just 2 Timothy, but 1 Timothy and Titus as well. A lot of you said you found these helpful. So uh, you can pick one of these up in the lobby. We suggest a donation of $5. If you can't afford that, just grab one. Okay, so uh, this is available. Secondly, uh, we're going to challenge you throughout this series to do some, uh, to actually get God's Word rattling around between your ears, to hide God's Word in your heart, to memorize some Scripture. There's actually four different verses in this series that when we get to those verses, we're going to say, hey, this is a verse we want to challenge you to memorize, and we'll try to make that fun as we go together. But uh, but listen, challenge accepted, right? Okay, good deal. So yeah, so there's that. Now listen, it's really important to understand the context for this book because the context really gives it life and meaning. So uh, the first thing you need to know is that 2 Timothy is one of the last letters that Paul wrote. It's one of the most intimate of his letters. It's, one, it's certainly one of the most personal. And it's written to one of his disciples, a young man by the name of Timothy. Now, you need to know that Timothy was like a son to Paul. I mean, he had scooped him up as a teenager. He'd invested in him. And so three things are happening in this letter that make it not only applicable for the day, but also applicable for us. So here's the three things. So number one, Timothy is actually pastoring the church at Ephesus. And this church has just taken Timothy's lunch money. I mean, they are telling him what he can say. They're telling him what he can't say. Uh, they are not following his lead. In fact, they're kind of beating him up. And because he's a young pastor, he doesn't really know how to handle that. So that's one thing. The second thing that's happening is that Nero, the, the, uh, uh, the emperor of Rome, or the Roman, yeah, anyway, is ratcheting up the pressure and the persecution of Christians all across the Roman Empire. And it just so happens that Ephesus is a Roman city. So the future, not only of those Christians, but of Christianity in general is in jeopardy because, you know, they're beginning to be... Um, persecuted. And then thirdly, uh, Paul is writing this letter from prison and he's a prisoner at Rome and he's actually has a death sentence. He knows he's going to die and so does Timothy. Uh, in fact, we know that Timothy probably watched Paul be uh, actually arrested because in verse uh, four here, he's going to say, I remember your tears, Timothy. And those were probably the tears that Timothy shed as he watched this man who was like a father, who was definitely a father figure to him, uh, be arrested and taken away for his faith. So Paul is going to speak into Timothy, but he's not going to do it by coddling Timothy. He is going to say, yes, 
It is true that things are getting worse for Christians throughout the Roman Empire. Yes, you have a difficult assignment at the church of Ephesus. They are difficult to lead. I know this is a painful assignment for you. And then finally, yes, we both know I am going to die. I'm not getting out of here. We both know that. But Timothy, open your mouth and speak. Don't throttle back on your leadership. So in the midst of all of this hardship, all of these things kind of brewing at once, Paul is just going to try to speak life and courage into this young man named Timothy. Now, here's my hope for you in this series. I don't know what hard thing you may be facing. I don't know what factors are coming together in your life that might cause you to shrink back or pull back and not give something your very, very best. But I know this, that just as Paul longed to encourage Timothy, I know that God is going to encourage you. And I believe that, or I don't just believe, I know that as Paul speaks these things into Timothy, that our God is going to speak some of these same things into you because the, the only way forward, friends, is through. Because let's face it, right? It's been a really painful last few years. I mean, I think every one of us in the room have had to face uh, probably several really difficult things. Some real, we've had to face some pretty hard stuff. But God isn't going to coddle us in this series. In fact, he's going to challenge us to resiliency. So listen, if you're here and you're in your mid-40s or younger, just who would that be? Mid-40s, younger? Okay. If that's you, I want to I I speak to you as a father would speak to you during this series. I want to speak to you in the same way that Paul wanted to speak to and address Timothy. And if you're in your mid-40s or older, let me see who's represented there. I want to speak to you as a brother. I want to encourage you as a brother might encourage his little sister or another sister. And this week, essentially what Paul is going to say to Timothy is this. I want you, Timothy, to remember whose you are. I want you to remember who it is that you belong to. So in verse 3, Paul begins this way. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He's saying, Timothy, I pray for you every day, every night. And then remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with, with joy. So what Paul is saying here in verses 3 and 4 is he's saying, look, Timothy, I want you to remember that you are loved and you are valued by me. Like, I love you, Timothy, like a son. I pray for you every single day, right? He says, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I miss you, Timothy. Timothy, seeing you would bring me great, great joy. And then look what he says in verse five. He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I am convinced is in you also. So he's saying, hey, look, 
Timothy, your grandmother had a faith, right? Your mother held and guarded her faith. I want you to do the same. You need to guard what has been entrusted to you, Timothy. So here's what he's telling us in verse 5. He's saying, I want you to remember whose you are, because not only are you loved and valued, but you have a legacy of faith. You have a legacy of faith. And I don't want you to be ashamed of that. And I'll talk more about this dynamic a little bit later. But here's my paraphrase of these first two points. He's saying, Timothy, I believe with all my heart that your faith, even though it's rooted in your mother's faith and your grandmother's faith, I believe it's sincere. I believe it's authentic. I believe it's really yours. So you are your own man. You are not mama's boy. You are not gamma's boy. Your faith is yours. So don't feel less authentic because of that lineage, right? And he says, listen, and if you're wounded, if you're sorrowful, if you're timid because your father was so absent or so passive in your spiritual upbringing, I want you to remember something, Timothy, that I am your father. I don't call you my beloved child for sentimental reasons or merely because God awakened you under my preaching. I call you my beloved child because I am right now being a father to you. The grace that I'm delivering to you right now is coming from your heavenly father and flowing through the words of your spiritual earthly father. That is what I am to you and what I long to continue to be to you. That is why I long to see you so that my joy may be full. I love you. I never had a son, Timothy. You never had a father that you had a spiritual connection with. But this, that is who we are together. This is a grace for us, son. Be strong in it. So see, Paul, these are just the first two things, right, that Paul is saying to deliver this grace and power and courage to Timothy in these difficult circumstances. And then in verse 6, he's going to say, I want you to remember whose you are because you have a gift from God. You have a gift from God. Here's what he says. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying of hands. Now, we're not told specifically what this gift is, but um, it's probably either Timothy's gift of leadership as he's leading the church at Ephesus or his gift gifting as a teacher or a preacher of God's word, which Timothy was becoming hesitant to do because they were, you know, being so hard on him, right? And so here's what I want you to know today, that if you're here today and you've said yes to Jesus, then you have been given at least one and probably at least a couple of spiritual gifts. Now, a spiritual gift is a divine enablement to serve God. And every believer is given at least one when they say yes to Jesus. Uh, but every spiritual gift has to be, in this case, he says, rekindled. Uh, some versions say, I want you to fan into flame the spiritual gifts that you've been given. In other words, how do you do that? Well, you do that, folks, by using your spiritual gifts. You just use them. So listen, if you're here and you've said yes to Jesus, you've been given spiritual gifts, not just so you can sit in a seat on Sunday mornings. 
You've been given a gift so that you could uh, boldly serve the church that you attend, so that you could boldly use that gift to serve others within that church. It's so important that we get this. Um, so, yeah, finding a place of service in your church is how you fan into flame or rekindle the gift of God. So let me just ask you, do you know your spiritual gifts online and take any, I mean, there's just any number of spiritual gifts test. And I would encourage you to at least start there. Most of those are free. Uh, and then the second thing I would say to you is how are you using the spiritual gifts to serve others in the body of Christ with the gift that God has given you? God did not give you spiritual gifts so you could sit on your hands. He gave you a spiritual gift so that you could be an encouragement to others. Uh, this is one of the reasons I'm so excited. I mentioned this a couple of months back, but, you know, Pastor Jess is transitioning out of her full-time role as a children's minister and into a part-time role, and this is going to be right in her wheelhouse. One of the things she's going to help us get back to is helping people figure out what their spiritual gifts are and kind of helping people get plugged into ministry in a way that's kind of congruent, you know, with their spiritual gifts. So, uh, I'm really excited about her being able to step into that role. Now, let me give you an example of a spiritual gift and how it works. So, uh, anybody want to guess in my college career which class I got my lowest grade in? I said, like the worst grade of my entire college career. And I'll give you a hint, it was not organic chemistry. That was actually my second lowest grade in college. It was a close second, but organic chemistry was what convinced me I didn't want to go into chemistry like my father, because I kind of was kind of wonder, well, maybe I'm cut out to be a chemist. Oh no, I was not cut out to be a chemist like my father. Uh, so the lowest grade I made in college was in my freshman year in speech class. Amen. You feel my pain, don't you? Yeah. So, uh, here, because here's what happened. Between my freshman and my sophomore year, I gave my heart and my life and my mind to Jesus. And in that summer, when I, when I opened up my heart to Jesus, he came and he brought me a spiritual gift. It was a supernatural gift. It was a divine gift. I did not possess it before. He gave me the gift of teaching and the gift of preaching. And it completely transformed the way I thought about uh, speaking. I mean, wouldn't you know that my very worst grade in college is what I make a living, not a very good living, but I make a living doing it nonetheless, right? It's public speaking, public speaking. Only God can do that. And it comes in the form and the shape of a spiritual gift. But I had to fan that gift into flame by using it, by practicing it. And, and, and you have to use the gifts that God's given you. You may not have the gift of preaching or teaching, but I know that you have gifts that this church needs. All right, so, uh, so he says, look, I want you to just remember whose you are because, you know, you, uh, 
yeah, verse 7, let's move on. So I want you to, in verse 7, he's saying this, you have supernatural resources. I want you to remember whose you are because you have supernatural resources, verse 7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. What he's saying is this, Timothy, God has given you a spirit of power. And if you're here this morning and you've said yes to Jesus, you have that same spirit. You have within you a spirit of power, the power to overcome, the power to grow, the power to get better, the power to see your way through. You have that power. And he's not only given you a spirit of power, he's also given you a spirit of love, the divine ability to love other people well. And this is such incredible news because listen, this is going to be a little offensive to some of you, but I'm saying the same thing of me. You and I do not have it within us to love other people very well on our own. My supply of love runs out when I get a little tired, it runs out when I get a little irritable, it runs out when I get a little cranky. I mean, right, we're all subject to our emotions, and in our emotions, we don't love other people very well. But we're told here that we have supernatural resources. God has given us a a spirit of love, the divine resources that we need so that we love other people the way that God loves us, not the way, you know, we think we ought to be loved or only loving somebody when we feel like it or when we're in a good mood. This is a big, big deal. And then he goes on and he says this, he's given you a spirit of sound judgment. In other words, he will help you know what to do. He will guide you into the wisest thing to do. He will help you know the right, best decision you can make in any set of circumstances. See, and then he says, uh, he'll help you know what true north is. Like, like what's the truest, noblest thing that you should do in any set of of circumstances. That's true north, right? So what he's saying here to Timothy is he's saying, look, Timothy, God has put you here, so he's going to equip you here. Now listen, if you've been placed here in this church, you need to be equipped here to serve. That's a call we make of everyone that would be a part of what God is doing here. Because we believe that not only then you know, do you, do you see the, know the joy of benefiting other people, but you also feel God's heart and God's joy in your service to him. He'll pat you on the back and say, at a boy, at a girl, you did good. Daddy's proud of you. I love that. I live for that voice. I would hope that you would too. Now uh, he says, I'll tell you what God has not given you, Timothy. He has not given you a spirit of fear. Now, this word, this Greek word, it's the only place, time it's ever used in the entire uh, New Testament. And it's probably better translated as cowardice. He's not giving you a spirit, Timothy, that would make you a coward. Because uh, it turns out, like when you look in our world, there's a lot of things that you can be afraid of. There's a lot of fear out there. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through a list and I want you to tell me what you think think this would represent a fear of because again there's a lot of fear in our world so balonophobia anybody want to guess 
You're thinking baloney, aren't you? I know. But it's not. It's pins and needles. I kind of have that fear. Anyway, so here's one. Uh, Ertherophobia. Anybody know what that one is? Ertherophobia. That's fear of blushing in public. That's a real thing, I guess. How about uh, mysophobia? My, M-Y, mysophobia. It's not, a, it's not fear of rodents. Mysophobia. Fear of dirt or contamination. How about trichophobia? Fear of hair. Who knew, right? Uh, let's do one more. I'm not going to pronounce this one correct. Arachibutrophobia. That's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. It's a real thing. See, see, apparently, there's a lot of things out there, right, that you can be afraid of. But the Spirit of God eliminates those. He doesn't give us a spirit of cowardice or a spirit of fear. No, he has given us a spirit of power and a spirit of love. So lean into that. Press into that. Use that. God, and here's what this means. It means that if you've been given that spirit, it means that God has equipped you to face whatever it is that you are facing today. You don't have to face that alone or by yourself. And then finally, in verses 8 and 10, he says, Timothy, I want you to remember whose you are because you know the grace and the confidence of Christ. Here's how he says it in verses 8 to 10. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. This is the gospel. Or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Then he tells us what the gospel does. He says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy... You know the gospel. You don't just know it. You've taken it in. You've breathed it in. You've received it. You've experienced it. And Timothy, you did that in the person of Jesus. And he's saying, Timothy, I need for you to remember that there is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more practical. There is nothing more life-changing than the gospel. The gospel and only the gospel changes lives. And this is why churches, right, should traffic in life transformation. He's saying, look, never be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Not even in a world where you will be persecuted for it. Because remember, Nero was ratcheting up the pressure on Christians, right? He says, look, it's only through the gospel that we conquer death. It is only through the gospel that we are given new life. And when I use the word gospel, I mean the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's it. That's the gospel. And But then he goes on and he continues and he talks about, um, well, just read along with me. He says, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. 
And that is why I suffer these things. In other words, that is why the gospel is why I'm about to die. The gospel is why I'm in jail because I'm preaching it. He says, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. In other words, the day that I die. So then he goes on to say, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, what I love about this verse is Paul says, he doesn't say, I know what I believe. He doesn't say, you know, I know, uh, you know, I, I believe this or I believe that. He says, no, I know in whom Not what, in whom I have believed. He didn't say, I know what I believe. His confidence wasn't in what he believed. It wasn't, his his confidence was in whom he believed. Paul's belief was in a person, not doctrine. It was in a person, not dogma. His confidence was in Christ and Christ alone. So Paul would say, why am, I in jail? why am I in jail right now? Because of the gospel. Why am I suffering? Because of the gospel. Now listen, here's the obvious point. And it makes everybody want to squirm in their seats. I get it. But listen, the, the point he's making is that every one of us in this room have to be willing to suffer for the gospel. Every one of us do. But it's too important. It's too beautiful. It's too you know, not, um, eternal not to. Uh, so, yeah, just Paul says we just have to be willing to suffer, but that the gospel is worthy of that suffering. So he's just saying this. He's simply saying, Timothy, when you speak on behalf of the gospel as a preacher or a teacher, you will suffer. Think about my own life. It's, my life hasn't been easy, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of sitting here in prison, and I don't want you to be ashamed either. Don't you throttle back just because people have ears that don't want to hear. And he says, and the reason we don't have to be ashamed is that the one who has entrusted us with the power of the gospel, he is himself powerful, and he will guard that. He will guard this deposit. And uh, so don't be ashamed, Timothy. Be courageous for the gospel of Jesus. Now listen, here's the good news for us in this room. Not one of us is ever going to jail, going to go to jail for speaking to someone else about Jesus. Not one of us. Not one of us is ever going to face a death penalty because we mention the name of Jesus in a conversation. Not one. So what's the worst thing that's going to happen to those of us in this room? We may have a friend or two snicker about us behind our back, right? But what would Paul's message be to us? He would say, look, don't be ashamed of that. Do you know the shame that Jesus had to bear to carry that out? Don't ever be ashamed of talking to other people about Jesus. Don't ever stop... uh, telling your friends what he has done on their behalf. It's the only life-changing message that we're given as human beings. It's the only one. There is no other life-changing message. So speak the gospel. 
Talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Talk about its relevance. If you don't understand its relevance, equip yourself to understand its relevance. Because it's relevant for every facet of life. So, uh, now, so based on this passage, let me just talk to some of you who have aspirations for ministry. So if you want an easy life, a secure life, an esteemed life, an untroubled life, if you want a comfortable life or a safe life, don't go into ministry. Ministry is really, really difficult. It takes tremendous courage. It takes tremendous faith. And... If you are single and you want to go into ministry, don't marry a man or a woman who wants any of those things either. Just don't do it. Uh, And then finally, in verse 14, and I'm not going to talk a lot about this because Pastor Lee is going to unpack this next week because remember I'll be teaching starting point in a different location. And so he just says this, So again, Lee's going to unpack this verse. I just want to point out one thing. He says, look, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the help of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to remember whose you are because you know the grace and confidence of Christ. And I want you to remember whose you are because you have the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, so, and that's a big deal. So let's review. So he, he said the following things. Let's, let's go to our build slide. So Paul's telling Timothy, look, I want you to remember whose you are. You are loved and cherished, right? You are, uh, I didn't realize there were blanks up there. Let me pull out my outline. Because in a, in a, yeah, I know. You'd think I'd know after like 25 hours with these verses, right? Okay, so he says, look, Timothy, I want you to remember who you are because you're loved and valued. I want you to remember who you are because you have a legacy of faith. I want you to remember who you are because you have a gift from God. You have supernatural resources given by the Spirit. You, you know the grace and power of Christ. And you have finally the help of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is just an incredible thing. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this list for a minute, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Which of those things did you most need to hear today? What is it that you are facing right now that knowing one of those things at least would help you in knowing that you have to face this? Now, so some of us are here, and we actually, verse 5, we actually, some of us have a legacy of faith. So I grew up in a home where I did not have a legacy of faith. I had an unbelieving mom and an unbelieving dad until my mom went in the hospital and and trusted Christ. At least that's what I'm told. So they were unbelieving, so I didn't have that. And it has been such a joy to me as a parent to intentionally create a legacy of faith in my children. Now, so like when you and I get to heaven and God looks at you as a parent, here's what he's going to say. I gave you one job. 
I gave you one job. You create a legacy of faith with your children. That's my heart for your family. That's my heart for, for your, you know, your children. My heart is a legacy of faith. And listen, sometimes if somebody grows up in a legacy of faith, they kind of apologize for that. Like, hey, my story's not very good, you know, because I've kind of been a Christian, you know, most of, most of my life. And, you know, there's nothing earth-shaking or earth-shattering in my story. So they kind of kick the dirt and, you know, kind of act all squeamish and ashamed. Like, yeah, my story's just not very good. Listen, if you have a legacy of faith story, if you had parents that loved the Lord, do you realize how rare that is in our world now? Do you realize how important it is that you tell that story? Because you have one. And it may involve a, you know, uh, a legacy of faith. Now, uh, sometimes we as parents need to be reminded of something in the culture and in the world that we are in. And it's so important because it's so easy to get distracted as parents from, and to just take your eye off the ball. You know, just not to focus on what's most important. I want you to notice a couple of things. He does not say, parents, provide for your children a legacy of athletics. He does not say, I want you to provide a legacy of great family vacations. Now, those are both cool things, but they're not the number one thing. He doesn't say, parents, I want you to provide a legacy of academics. This is why we say we want to be so intentional as a church about coming alongside parents as they raise their children. In other words, we want to be a partner with you. We want to be a resource for you as you strive to leave a legacy of faith for your children. But don't forfeit that. Don't get distracted from that by shuttling your kids all year long to you know, five different athletic things where you're so hurried as a family all the time where there's no time to talk about Jesus because they're too busy kicking a ball or hitting a ball. I'm going to move on. And my, yeah, okay. So uh, second thing is this, you know, so we talked about the, can, can we have the list again? Thank you. The, yeah, there it is. So again, having a legacy of faith. And then finally, I want you to just notice one other thing. That whatever it is that you're facing today, you have the help of the Holy Spirit. If you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit took up residence and made you his temple. He made you his dwelling place. And far too many of us just kind of mosey through our days completely unaware of that, completely unengaged from that. And what I want to challenge you to do this next week is to wake up every morning and just thank God and say something like this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, the Holy Spirit hasn't moved in yet. You need to say yes to Jesus first. But if you've done that, I want you to get up every morning and I want you to say, 
Thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit in me. And just drink that in. Just soak in that for just a moment, even before you get out of bed. I think it will start to... um, I just think it's going to bring a new awareness to your life that's going to be super cool and result in some really cool things in and through your life. Now, one of the ways that we remember and live out the gospel here is through something called communion. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite us to take communion together. And um, I'm just going to walk you through it as I call our teams up. And, uh, and so here's the way this is going to work. So you can see we have communion stations here at the front. We have communion stations in the back if you would prefer to receive it there. We, we want to invite you to come uh, uh, down these aisles or down those aisles toward the back and collect the bread and the cup. Then we want to invite you to file back into your seat, either down the center aisle or down the side aisles. We want you to hold on to the bread and the cup that you get. Keep them. And then I'm going to come back up once everybody has them. And I'm going to lead us together. We're going to take communion together as a church family. Okay? So let me pray for us. And then I'll invite you to come and receive. Heavenly Father, we, we're going to remember you in these next few minutes. Would you help us to remember you well? Would you help us to remember you as a family? Would you help us to remember you together? And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death, for your burial, for your resurrection, the things that communion represents, the things it stands for. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to do that together. And so we ask and pray this in the mighty name of our Jesus. Amen.